0: because this month I have a special guest who goes by the moniker Drop Dead Gorgeous on YouTube. Um, I randomly came across her channel and then people actually started sending me her videos and she makes some amazing mortuary, science and funeral service focused content. So Miss Mortuary, AKA Drop Dead Gorgeous, also known as Brianna. Please introduce
1: yourself. Hello, everyone. How are you all doing? I just wanna thank the great one for having me on and being such a tremendous support system for me. And I'm grateful to be here with you today. Thank you so
0: much for being here, Brianna. I'm so excited to talk to you. And you and I kind of um, connected online a couple weeks ago. But the first time we spoke, you told me that you had four children and I couldn't believe it. And I know working in death care, thinking about going to mortuary school and just living life on an everyday basis. I mean, I can't I don't have any kids. I'm a dog mom, but I imagine that you constantly have your hands full.
1: Yes. (laughs) All the time.
0: So let me ask you, what is your first memory of your mother. Because the first video that I saw of yours is where you talked about how you actually did your mom's makeup for her home going service. So if yeah. you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about your first memories of your mother and the impact that she's had on your life and your career as an aspiring
1: death care professional. Uh, would you like more so like a childhood memory or just? As an adult, in general, anything
0: you <laughs> feel comfortable sharing, whatever you feel comfortable sharing.
1: Okay, okay. Um, I remember, I remember the first time that I got lost, and it was actually at Disney World or Disney. I can't remember. I was so small, but all I could think about was, where was my mother? Where was my mother? And I was surrounded by all these people. And, you know, getting lost in a a place like that can be traumatizing for a child. And it's a lot of people there. And all I can remember was finding my mother. And that right there, even having that memory as an adult, it still kind of touches me. So it just reminds me of how important she was to me then, as she still is to me now. But other other memories I have are, she's always the neighborhood mom. She would always cook for everyone. She would always sing to us. So she was always just been a positive aspect in my life. So really, if I were to hold on to two memories, it would be those.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing. I'm pretty sure that we can all relate to getting lost at some point and looking for like a familiar face, especially that of our mothers. And then for the moms out there, I'm pretty sure losing one of your children in a crowded packed area has to be horrifying. Have
1: you ever lost one of your children in public? Um, no, I haven't. Thankfully, um, I try to keep a close range on them. But I do have twins. So one goes left and one will go right. <laughs> so <laughs> we've we've had, you know, situations where we had to watch them, you know, but we we used our intuition like, okay, something's something's up. But no, I have not, thankfully. Wow. It's really well, just amazing. keeping them out of trouble. <laughs> that's amazing. You know something that's so funny?
0: I jokingly say I'm a dog, mom, but I literally have a dog that's almost nine years old. And she is like, as far as I'm concerned, she's my daughter. And last night I was like, I took her out for a walk and I took her off of her leash. She came upstairs. I came inside and then all of a sudden I'm hearing this barking outside and it's her outside the door. I locked the dog outside. (laughs) And the first thought that I had was, oh my God, how am I going to be responsible for a child? if I'm locking my dog outside, like, I forget to feed her sometimes. Like, I forget to you know, change her water. And it's, I always wonder, especially for women that work in death care, how do you manage to do it all? Like, what does your schedule look like? How do you keep up with four children? And how do you keep your sanity and take care of yourself as a woman Um,
1: while raising four human beings? Well, I've I've had to learn how to take care of myself because everything I do revolves around my children. So, you know, there's some days that I won't eat because I gave them my breakfast that I made for me because, you know, they wanted more and I didn't have time to prepare anything else or, you know, I started making myself go get my feet done because I do stand on my feet all day because I still am a hairstylist during the week for living clients, so I, um, I had to learn how to at least treat myself once or twice a month, but really working in the death care industry, for me, has alleviated a lot of stress in my life, because I don't have to work as long at the salon to create, you know, to bring in as much income as I would So how am I trying to say it? So with me working in death care, going to a facility and providing services for one family alleviates hours of what I would have to do standing on my feet at the salon. And so it also helps me maintain, you know, family structure of having more time to spend with my kids because I go to work for an hour or two versus going to the salon and working for eight hours. And it's really hard for me because like I said, I have twins and then I have a son that's special by design. So he's wheelchair bound. Um, He has feeding tube. Then I have my oldest who's a teenager and she's had to step in and really grow up faster than what she's needed to. But she's really, you know, my main support system and I'm really getting to the point now to where I want her to be able to be a teenager and live her life and not have to necessarily be, you know, that person in my life to help me when I don't have childcare, or, you know, so really I'm doing this for not only all the kids, but mainly for her so she can have an experience as a teenager as she's supposed to. So really, she's been my biggest support system through all this so it's it's been a feat trying to find balance but you know what I I strive I persevere and I I don't give up I find solutions I don't dwell on the problems
0: I love that attitude and I love what you said about your son being special by design Um, a lot of times we look at people that have disabilities or that face challenges that we don't face ourselves is there's something wrong with them, but I it's so loving and just so compassionate for you to use those gentle and affirming words about your son, it really touched my heart. Um, I know that, oh, no problem. I know that um, a lot of times, especially as women in death care, we are forced into Operating in a lot of masculine energy because we have to protect our families from information that may be traumatizing to them. We have to deliver information in a way that it can be received. We have to have a very arrow-minded mindset about meeting deadlines and meeting just expectations of those that we work with. We have a lot of people depending on us on a daily basis. How do you honor? your femininity, because I can tell just by your videos and the tone of your voice, you're such a girly girl. So how <laughs> do you maintain your, uh, your
1: femininity? Um, really because all of the women in my family were, were very feminine. And I say were because the majority of, you know, the women in my family have passed away. I still have my grandmother, um, I was actually raised or grew up in beauty supplies. So my grandmother's my grandmother had beauty supplies in the 80s. So I was basically born into it. And my mother, she would always tell me, it doesn't matter where you're going. You always present yourself as if you're going to meet someone or run into someone. So I've I've taken those tokens and I use that every day. And then plus the fact that I'm offering beauty services, I want the families to know that I'm capable of doing it by presenting myself in a way that I would like their loved one to look. So I really just do it. And it it helps keep me. I don't necessarily need the makeup and all that to have confidence. But it does give you a little extra pep in your step. You know, it gives you a little extra sparkle. So It it really just, it's just for me at the end of the day to help me remind myself, like, you know, you're a trendsetter, you're a role model. You're you're presenting yourself to the world to let young ladies know that it's a way to present yourself in a classy manner and still be seen and heard. So that's really what I strive on is just showing other people that it's a possibility because you're right, it is a male dominated industry. And I'm, I'm thankful enough that the males that I'm around, they're very strong minded men and they don't really understand a lot that we go through, but I've established friendships with them. And so, you know, they understand this is how it is. This is, you know, this is how she presents herself. And they see that I, I shine those services through the families that I serve.
0: I absolutely love it. And I, I agree 100%. We could present ourselves in a way that says that, you know, not only are we capable, but I put effort into myself and I'm going to put the same effort into, you know, taking care of you and your loved ones. I recently did a video and you left a comment on there about um, finding clothes as larger women. I know I'm a plus size woman and I've never seen like your your full body picture, but just from what I've seen on Facebook, I imagine that you might be plus size as well. And finding clothes that fit professionally, that make us feel beautiful, make us feel empowered and make us also look professional are, it's kind of a task for larger women in this industry. So do you have any shopping tips or places that you shop that plus size ladies listening to this podcast may be able to take advantage of?
1: Um, I will honestly say that that's where a lot of my insecurity was as a younger plus size woman. And my mother really implemented a lot of her fashion sense, but she would buy my clothes and they were a little bit more mature than I would have liked. But she used to take me to Lane Bryant, Ashley Stewart, um, Rainbow Torrid things like that but at first all the clothes were big and bulky you know they weren't fitted so it made me feel larger than what I was and that was an insecurity for me um I'm also a larger I have a larger foot size and so that was really difficult for me too because you couldn't find nice pretty shoes or heels, you know, so you could feel confident. They would always be big and bulky or a man's shoe. So once society started changing and they started noticing that, you know, larger size women, plus size women deserve to feel sexy and confident as well. Once I started dedicating to actually purchasing clothes for myself and not feeling guilty for, you know, buying something for myself, I would go to Toyota Lane, Brian, you know, when I had a little extra money because they tend to be a little bit higher priced. Um, but really my staples starting off were Rainbow, um, Ashley Stewart, really just the lower end stores because, you know, being a, a single parent and being a mother of four, you know, my, my income was restricted so i had to find certain ways to purchase items and i would put them together learn how to mix and match and really just let my confidence work through it was even times where i would have to go to the thrift store and you know a lot of people they talk down on people who are thrift shoppers and things like that but i encourage it because you can still find name brand clothes you know, if you may not be in the position to do so, just you know, you have to find ways to create a style for yourself, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. Now, 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 I I'll, I'll still go to um, J C Penney's. You can go J C Penney's; they have a plus size collection now, and I really like to find things on a budget because, like I said, I have four kids, and I still need to, you know. I can't splurge, but I really just look for coupons and specials and when they have sales. And then that's when I go buy items for myself. But it can be hard trying to find professional items at a reasonable cost and, you know, still look, you know, beautiful and feel confident. So that's what I would suggest. Yeah.
0: I am the queen of goodwill. I'm thinking yes. of uh, buying a blazer and some professional slacks at either Lane Bryant or Avenue, maybe even Torrid, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then going to City Trends or Rainbow or, uh, what is it called, um, fashion, fashion Now, I think that's the name of the store, I may be saying it wrong, but yeah, I will mix more expensive items with items that I've gotten off of the clearance rack I will go to Walmart and get some of those um for two or three dollars when they have them mop- marked down and mm-hmm. get every color that I can in my size and mm-hmm. accessorize you know a pretty necklace or a bracelet or some earrings some bright lipstick I am the queen of doing that so yeah mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to feel like in order to be professional, it means that you have to go yeah. spend a whole bunch of money. What you really need is like really a blazer, a pair of slacks, and maybe a skirt if you wear skirts or a dress, and then mix it up. I love yeah. to go to, um, what is it, Catherine's in December when they put all of their tights and their stockings on sale, buy two, get two free, or buy one, get two free. I load up once a year and- with five or six pair of tights i mean i've i've gotten through six seven months at a time um especially during the winter because you know when you're cold
1: outside and you're in the cemetery you have to keep your legs and your feet warm mm-hmm. and, and really i want people to know they're only going to know if you tell them that's it so. nobody cares <laughs> yeah, nobody cares it's just like me wearing a wig they're like oh that's so cute i'm like it's a wig they're like, why right. are you telling, people,
0: why are like, you telling well, people that i don't know or my favorite i want thing you to is, know oh. that it's possible <laughs> right my thing is, that i say is oh i got it on sale or oh i got it on clearance Everybody yeah. tells me, nobody cares how much you paid for it just say right. thank you and i'm like okay and i think they that's sure. another thing as women we need to work on is receiving compliments and uplifting mm-hmm. one another because mm-hmm. especially in death care um things can be so competitive. Um, There are funeral homes literally across the street from each other. And there tends to be an unspoken rule that you don't talk to this family because they went to this home or, you know, there's just this natural competition between funeral homes, especially in the black community. But Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for us as black women, especially in this industry or women period to support one another and just to be open to, conversations and sharing. Um, right. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the hardest cases for you in the funeral home. Um, what cases bother you? Has seen people lose their mom after going through the experience of having to bury your mom? Has that bothered you when you see families come in that are doing that? Or are there certain cases that just really get to you?
1: Um really, I I let the love in my heart from losing my mother transfer to them. And so the only difficult part I have is when they come to the viewing and, you know, they're, they're mourning, crying, that gets to me. I still have times where I have to work through that. But really, I just focus more on delivering the most familiar, comforting experience that they could have in their time of need. Um, I haven't necessarily, the cases that I worked on are more so sympathetic, or not sympathetic, but I felt empathy, like I had to serve, um, provide services for a woman that was still pregnant. And, That was hard for me because the husband just lost his wife and his unborn child. And then also his mother was in the hospital and he wasn't for sure if he was going to lose her. So I have to say that was the hardest case for me. And I could feel what she was going through. I was at work and I was just crying. And I'm like, before you came here, you were fine. And while I'm preparing her makeup and, you know, all this, I'm just crying. And so I I don't necessarily talk to them, but I just, I like, while I'm, I'm applying makeup in the hair, I'm just like, it's okay. It's all right. You know, like you're gorgeous. You know, I hate what you're going through, but I'm going to put as much love as I can to, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm basically i don't feel like i'm helping them cross over but it's like i feel like i'm a guide so whenever i do feel like the person doesn't want to let go or they're having a hard time i feel like i was placed there to let them know that it's okay and so a lot of the time it's really what's hard for me is the families hearing what the families have to go through But as far as the cases, I've learned how to differentiate, like, this is my job. This is what you signed up for. This is what you're going to see. So, you know, you need to be prepared for this. But that doesn't mean that you can't show empathy. You can't show love. You can't show sympathy. So that's really what's the hardest for me is the families once they come to view them. It's not even necessarily you know, working on the person for me.
0: I definitely can agree with that. The hardest cases for me are when people are in denial about the fact that their loved one has died. And when I take them into that viewing room for the first time, for that first viewing, when the family's there privately, and the reality sets in that their loved one is really gone. I almost feel as if by being there and by being the professional in that setting, I've robbed them of that last little bit of hope that they were hanging on to. Because there's been cases that I work one that pops pops in my mind is of a Hispanic um, gentleman that drowned here at a lake called Lake Lanier in Georgia, and they found him. In the lake but the family didn't identify after he was found he was okay. taken to the medical examiner's office and i think he was identified through dental records so there was no need for the family to do any type of visual confirmation so in their mind they'd gone to the lake they enjoyed the day he'd gone and just gotten lost and so interesting because we were talking about getting lost earlier yeah but When they came into the funeral home, they were a Hispanic family and they didn't speak English. Um, The wife and the mom and the dad, but one of his sons spoke English. And so he was telling me that the family was saying, they appreciated everything that we had done. Um, They were there, but they knew it wasn't their loved one. And so when we went into that chapel and they saw his the prof, like his silhouette his profile, mm-hmm. I mean it was heart-wrenching. And I mean in every case is heartbreaking, but you could literally tell they honestly believed that this man had not died. They yeah. thought it was a mistake. They knew he just got lost and the heartbreak and the grief was palatable and That will always just be with me. And I, I'm not going to say I hate that part of the job, but I hate that I had to be the one to break that to them in that moment. So yeah, like you, the cases themselves don't bother me as much anymore, just the families. I know a lot of people have a hard time working on children. As a mom, is it difficult for you to see children um, or provide services for children?
1: Um, yes, I, so the first time that I was actually, that I actually had to go to work alone in the funeral home, um, when I went into the preparation room, it was three children. It was other adults, but it was three children. And they ranged from, um, adolescent, taller, and an infant. And not only was I, I was already startled that I had to be there alone. But the fact that I walked into a room with children, it devastated me that day because I could only imagine what the parents are going through. I wouldn't want to see my child in, in a situation nor would I want to feel what it feels like to lose a child. So I haven't, I haven't necessarily provided services, but I, I do go in and, you know, like do little touch-ups. And I'm, I'm such a comforting person with everyone. So I just walk by the babies and I'm like, sweet baby, you know, just the life you haven't lived and you, just little things like that. The mother in me comes out, but now that I've been in the industry, I believe that I could do it. Not to say that I would want to, but I feel like that would be the hardest part for me. And the person I worked with got fussed at that day (laughs) for not letting me know, but then, you know, him not having children, he didn't think about it. But I was like, next time we have children, can you please let me know? Because I would like to prepare myself. Because after at the end of the day, I have to go home to my children But being that I'm in this industry, I had to realize that, you know, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So if I'm going to be here, I just need to be prepared for that. But that was a little traumatizing my first time seeing that. I'm sure. Um, What is
0: your decompression method? So what is the process that you go through to kind of not take your mind off of it um but to go home and be able to be mom you see your babies who don't really have a a concept of life and death and they they're still innocent I'm sure so what does that process look like for you
1: um so for me I learn how to cut it off and I've grown over the years, especially with my mother's passing, she's, that's really helped me with my mental strength and my emotional strength. So when once I provide services at the funeral home, the minute I get into the car, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't carry it with me. And plus my life is so busy and hectic, they don't really give me the chance <laughs> They don't really give me the chance to think about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that, that's one thing I'm grateful for too, because they keep me busy enough to where like, Hey, I'm here. Notice me, you know, don't think about what went on at work, but I really just work on, I have breathing techniques that I do if I get overwhelmed. Um, we have a garden at one of the locations that I work at. So if I need to go outside and get a, you know, a little breather and walk around. I have that. Um, I, I'm also the person that I work with, the environment that I work with side by side. He's helped me learn how to cope with certain emotions. Um, you know, I've asked him, how do you cope? What do you do? So there's certain things that he's implemented into my, you know, mental and emotional growth to where I'm able to go home and just that was work. now you're home. And once I got into the program of that, that's that's all it is. Like unless you know we have to correspond with each other do text messages about someone, it doesn't come home. Now they know what I do. They don't really know too much of what I do, but they have an idea and they'll ask, but other than that, It stays at the funeral homes.
0: Have you had conversations
1: with your children about that? Yes, I do. And this, it's all started, especially with my mother. And we, on the day of my mother's service, actually, one of my twins asked me, where is my needing? And I told her, she's in heaven with the angels. You know, I didn't know how to explain to her what was going on and i like to joke that one of my twins is an old soul and one is a new one Mm -hmm. One the old soul was like oh she rolled over croaked and died and (laughs) i looked at her and i was like that sounds like something my mom would have said But where (laughs) did you get that from and she's like well i just know that she died and i'm like okay but with her twin, she's she's still unaware of it. You know, she knows that she's not around. She knows that she's not here. But um, I've I've brought them to work with me to one of the funeral homes that I work at, and they weren't able to see anyone. But I, you know, they looked through the casket, you know, through the window and saw a casket, and they're like, "Is that a dead person in there?" And I'm like yes I'm like are you okay you know are you all right with being here and they're like yeah I'm fine so my children have gotten used to the idea of my profession they don't necessarily come to work with me all the time but I do work for a a facility where they have an office you know a tv where if I needed to bring them to work with me Mm -hmm. their accommodations set up for them and they just sit in here and let me do my job and they don't bother me but they've asked me like is that a dead person oh okay and I'm like it surprised me how well they've adjusted to it even though my mother is the only one that they've actually seen you know in in that type of environment so but uh and I will say my oldest I've asked her too I was like so if you know, if I ever decide to further my career to become a funeral director or, in a, or an embalmer and have my own establishment, would you be interested in working, you know, with me and growing with me? And she was like, you know, I can try. I don't mind. And I was like, it doesn't scare you. She's like, not yet. So, you know, she's, willing- <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> yeah, she's willing to be a part of that. But um, yeah, the kids are okay with it for now. They don't really know too much. And I I don't try to say certain things around them because I don't want them to go and scare other children or go and fill other children's heads with certain things too. So I try to be mindful about what I say about work and certain things, but I let them know that when someone does pass, they go to another place other than here. And they've they've done okay with understanding that, I believe.
0: (laughs) So the name of this podcast is Death at the Movie. Um, What is your favorite movie that in some way talks about
1: death, dying, and grief, and why? Um, The two that I'm stuck between would be My Girl and Death Becomes Her. And that's Mm. the name. Yeah, Um, the reason why I would choose my girl is because, really, just losing someone at such a young age and not knowing how to accept it and trying to find ways to cope with it and i know the young lady in the video her father was a mortician so you know she grew up around that but i right. don't think it really hit her until she lost her friend right and so that right there for me is that was heart-wrenching <laughs> even now as an adult watching it you know right. it's still does it speak gets- to any personal experiences of yours? um no because everyone that i've lost was either older or sick now i have i did lose a boyfriend um that was hard for me and i had to learn how to deal with that but even on that aspect you know we talk about spirituality and things like that i saw it happen before it happened so mm-hmm. that's what traumatized me the most about that loss that I had. Um, Do
0: you care to share
1: any more about that? Um, no, I don't mind. Because it's helped me also realize the, the gifts that I have and what, yes. what makes it easier for me to work in this industry. So um, I met someone over summertime. This was years ago. I met someone over the summertime, and at first, I couldn't stand him. (laughs) (laughs) He got on my nerves. (laughs) I was like, will you be quiet, you know? But once we started to get to know each other, that became the most charming part of him to me. So, you know, we had a little summer love, and it was one night in particular, like we hadn't spoken, we had broke up. And then we got back together. Well, the day that he came to see me, um, it was it was really weird because he was coming to get his stuff, but then he was coming to try to rekindle something at the same time. So right. you know, the exchanges were different. It just felt really different. And so that night he was supposed to come back to see me, and I'm like, well, enjoy yourself. You know, you're out partying. Just, you know, be careful. Well, it had got later on that night and I had sent him a message like, you know what? Just stay where you're at. And when I sent that message, I literally visualized like, well, so he got in a car accident and his car flipped six times. I think it was about six times and he was ejected from the vehicle. Mm. I had a vision of his car flipping Mm. and I didn't see him being ejected, but I immediately knew something wasn't right. So something kept telling me, call the EMTs, call to see, you know, because I didn't know anyone to get in contact to find out if something was wrong. Like I knew a family member, but I wasn't going to bother them. And then lo and behold, his brother called me that morning and was like, he passed away and I'm like how and he was like in a car accident his car flipped six times." and that that helped me realize not only did I have a connection with him but I also had a gift and a lot of the times when I do have these visions or things come to me it's either about life or death someone being born or someone dying so yeah that and I forgot about it this is making me like not in an emotional way just realizing why I'm in this industry that's so interesting because literally Mm -hmm. this morning I made a video
0: about um premonitions about Mm -hmm. death and dying I call it my my grave woman tingle and Mm -hmm. the video is going to be up on my youtube later this week but in the video i talk about you know the fact that i can tell when someone's going to die it's just a gut feeling even Mm -hmm. sometimes looking at pictures and seeing something that's not there or the image being distorted or off color and it's so comforting to know that other people especially in this industry have these gifts and the next time that we talk and do an episode because I definitely want to invite you back we'll have to talk about honing in on those gifts and how to use them to our benefit and not have them scare us or you know drive mm-hmm. us away from our spiritual journey because I definitely believe that God gives those gifts in order for us to be of help to others and to also pray and help others that are in the transitioning process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cross over so to speak but before I let you go, I want you to share with the listeners how they can find you on social media and talk a little bit about what inspired your YouTube channel.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, you can find me on IG, um, miss underscore mortuary. Um, on Facebook, I'm still trying to get my Facebook handles together. But you can find me at Gorgeous, and it's drp d a d d i'll make sure i spell it right (laughs) you might have to cut that out okay (laughs) okay but yeah it's it's drop at drop dead gorgeous just remove the o and then i'm on tiktok as miss mortuary and my email is drop dead gorgeous 13 at gmail.com um well actually as far as me starting my youtube channel I've always wanted to start one because I like to coin myself the beauty supply guru because I've worked in beauty supplies for over 15 years, really even half, half my life. Um, and I always wanted to do something to help others, but it just never got off the ground. Hold on, they're doing something. Okay um those never got off the ground what really initiated my channel was the fact that I was doing mortuary makeup and no one else had a channel dedicated to strictly mortuary hand makeup I saw mm-hmm. um certain morticians and embalmers that did makeup reviews And, you know, they shared certain tips, but there was no there was lack of information as far as going into detail. So one day I said, you know what? I'm going to step out on faith. These people are going to see my face and I'm just going to do it. (laughs) And I really hesitated about putting my mom's video out there. But I feel like she's the reason why I do this. She's the one that put me in this position, and I wanted to share with the world, you can do your mother's makeup. Don't be afraid to, you know, if you want to go in and do her hair and makeup, do it. I wanted to show the support behind it. I wanted them to know that funeral homes don't necessarily always have to do it. I just wanted to show a different side of it, and You know, I catch a lot of slack from a lot of grief from putting my mother's deceased photos on film. But the fact that I got permission and support from my family, my mother basically came to me and told me, it's okay for you to do it. And Mm. so I did it. And I've helped so many families, so many people get through. I've had people contact me from the U.K., um, you know, all over the world, really. And they're like, thank you. I wasn't able to do her makeup. But you sharing your story helped me got, get through my the hard times I'm going through. So regardless of what happens to channels, channel, as long as I help people and help them, you know, find comfort and peace, that's really all I want to do. And that's Beautiful. why I created it. <laughs> Beautiful.
0: Well, thank Thank you so much for joining me. You guys make sure that you head over to YouTube and find Drop
1: Dead Gorgeous without the O in the drop, right? No, well, on YouTube it's Drop Dead Gorgeous Mortuary Hair and Makeup. They have to type in the full thing.
0: Okay, Drop Dead Gorgeous Mortuary Hair and Makeup. And Mm -hmm. I will make sure to link all of your... um, your social media, YouTube, and everything, your email address in the description for this episode of the podcast. Thank okay. you so much for joining me and for sharing your story and just talking with me. And I'd love to have you back in.
1: And I'd to thank you. It's been an honor. And I'm so grateful for you reaching out to me. <laughs> and thank you everyone for listening. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time.